the Gospels that are corresponding to the season of Epiphany, as you heard earlier. Epiphany, the appearance, the manifestation of Jesus and on the earth as Lord and as Savior. But as you know, the Gospels, they unfold that reality bit by bit, not all at once. And now the reading that Cindy just read in Mark's Gospel is unfolding the beginning of his public ministry. And he's, he's calling, he says what? Repent. The kingdom is near. And then he starts to collect a few of the local fishermen. Come, follow me, he says. And in, there's so much that's in that that we want to explore today. Because the, to be a people of epiphany are to be a people who respond to the call of Jesus. And I'm, if you are here and you've been a regular attender, it's likely that at some point in your life, you've responded to the call of Jesus with this Okay, Lord, I, I get that, that responding to you means that I make a decision that I am totally and wholly yours from this day forward throughout my life that I would know you, walk with you, serve you, love you, be loved by you, do what you want me to do and go where you send me to go. And in that, I am reflecting what you've done for me on the cross. And I am looking forward to what that means. That means no more death. That means being with you in eternity. Like, I'm pretty sure most people, I don't know everybody's story, but hopefully that's, you can think of a time where that was your reality. That was your decision. But as we know, when we move forward with the Lord, just as these disciples, he's calling them. And it says immediately that they left their nets and they followed him but they were not necessarily fully the disciples that he had created them to be. They had just embarked on a journey with a single but provocative act to say, in James and John's case, sorry, dad, we're not in the family business anymore. We're leaving our nets. We're literally walking and following this rabbi, this one named Jesus. It's clear from the gospel that the call of Christ is not an option. He's not offering one of many alternatives. He's not saying, hey, I'm the newest and latest thing. He is saying to us, he's saying to them in, in Mark, that I'm presenting to you the kingdom, the true reality, what actually is and what actually will be, what actually will remain. So much in this life is is, well, by nature, it's temporary. And so much of it is an image. It's a creation of any number of things, some aspect of our culture, some aspect of our mind. But Jesus says, I am come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. I've come to share with you and to show you what the kingdom of God means. And I have come to invite you to be part of that. And these guys are saying, okay, I will respond. And they respond, but what have they responded to? What have they actually done to show that they've responded? They have decided that they would walk with him, that they would follow him. Their response was instantaneous. A couple times it says in this passage immediately that they followed him. They, they dropped their nets and they left their father. There's a sense that when Jesus calls, he's expecting a response. There's no record of the early disciples, the original 12, just saying, well, 
let me see if I can get that on my calendar and I'll get back to you in about a week's time. He says later, when some people start to make excuses, like, well, let me just go bury my father. Let me go finish this business deal. He's like, no, let the dead bury their dead. So that to be a, a, an epiphany person, if you will, to, to live in this true reality is to say, Lord, I, I want to be ready to follow where you are leading me. Not only in that initial decision that I spoke of, but, but further on, because these guys didn't know what lay around the corner. They didn't know the miracles that they would witness. They didn't know the confrontations that they would see. They certainly didn't have any idea at this point that the Messiah would be one who would be crucified rather than one who would come as a conqueror. They're looking for somebody coming on a horse and he comes to Jerusalem riding on a donkey. They didn't know that when they responded. And we don't know the fullness of what Jesus has for each of our lives. That's the exciting part of walking with Christ. That's also the scary part because we like to be in control. Maybe you don't, I do. <laughs> I, really, you know, I like to know what's ahead, I like to plan. Actually, truth be told, I like to have other people plan for me, but I want somebody <laughs> planning something so that I know what's around the corner. And sometimes when we hear the call of the Lord, when we're finding the Spirit leading us in those next steps, we hang back, don't we? We want to know, Lord, where is it that you're leading us? But if he told us, would we really want to go? <laughs> Probably not. So in this epiphany, when I, I'm being before the Lord, I'm like, Lord, where, examine my heart to find those places where I'm shrinking back, where I am reluctant to follow, where I am questioning you, or putting more confidence and trust in my own thinking, very bad idea, rather than in the word of the Lord and in the response of the Spirit to my prayers. See, if we're gonna follow the Lord into a new place, we have to leave old things behind. How often do you wanna take things along with you that you don't need? Anybody here overpack? <laughs> do you like, okay, Vicki and I are trying to get better on that, but we chronically overpack, or at least I do for stuff. We'd go, Vic's family is in, in England, so, oh my goodness, we're going to England. I gotta pack everything. I gotta pack winter wear. I gotta pack boots for that. I gotta pack three parkas. But if, if the sun breaks out, I gotta pack shorts. I gotta pack, you know, Hawaiian shirt just to show I'm from California. I gotta do, I am so guilty of overpacking. When I get home, I, I open the suitcase to take stuff out. I'm like, didn't wear that, didn't need that, didn't have it. We overpack, I overpack. There's times where we cannot we can't follow the Lord with all the luggage, the stuff that we would like him to, to like, here, Lord, I want to bring this along with me. I want you to do things for me before I do them for you. So in this epiphany time, um, I've been thinking, all right, Lord, you call each of us to follow you into this new place that you're leading, into this kingdom life that you've called us to. But what are the old things that I'm still trying to drag along, hoping that you're gonna sign off? Hopefully you're gonna look at my little manifest and go, okay, all right, you can, you can have that. What are some of those things? There's a few things that come to my mind that I wanted to share with you. Things that, that we hang on to, um, things that get in our way, things that slow us down, things that stagnate our life and growth in Christ. Here's a few diagnostics. When I find myself shrinking back, a bit from where the Lord is, is calling. 
It's times where my life is about living my dream. Or that's true for many a Christian. So Lord, I, I know that you're calling me to live out your kingdom, but I've got dreams too. I've got goals. I've got ambitions. And if the Lord has given you those, yes, then those are from him. And those are things to press into. And those are things to depend on him. If the Lord is calling us to something, he's calling us to something that we cannot do in our own strength and wisdom. If you find yourself doing it in your own strength and wisdom, chances are it's more from you or maybe more from you than it is from God. Or you thought that God isn't going to come through and so you need to help him out with your thinking. So my life is about living my dream. Maybe, that, maybe you're saying that to you. Each morning, you know, a person in that mindset wakes up and thinks more about themselves, more about what they're doing, more about what the image is that they want to project and they want to create in this day and in this, in this time. What, you know, I want people to respect me. I want to be somebody who's super capable at work. I want to be somebody who's well off enough to do the things that I want to do. I think our culture just exacerbates that. There's such an emphasis on image these days. I was listening to a, a podcast from a, a pastor in New York, John Tyson. If you haven't heard him, he's worth listening to. He's great. He said, he, he's saying, February 9th, 2009 changed our lives. I'm like thinking, I'm usually a decent historian, but I can't think of what that meant. He said, on February 9th, 2009 was the day that, that Facebook launched the like button. Like you could, prior to that, you could, you could post stuff and people would say, great, you know, a nice vacation that was swell. And then you, they, you'd see their stuff, they'd see your stuff. When Facebook launched the, the like button, now people were evaluating. Now they were saying, Oh, yes, I like that. And so what once was just sharing amongst friends became somewhat performative. Now we were trying to think, well, okay, things have changed. It's not just my friends connecting with me. I actually want to be liked. It's tapping into a, a part of us that is very self-centered, very much our culture, and not very much of Jesus. And so it just creates this whole thing. Now we have a whole industry. YouTube, there, there are people actually here that that have worked for YouTube, so I don't you know. Love all your YouTube guys. But part of it is, it, you know, it is monetizing in very well, an approval cycle. It's monetizing a certain like. That's corrosive at some level to the soul, but it's so, it's so much in our culture now. So it's, it's understandable if we would get up and say, I want, you know, this, I gotta be something. I, I can't not be well-regarded, well-thought-of. The Jeremiah reading that was read calls these deceptions. These are things not of God. These are things of our own making. They are things when you don't have God at the center of your life, if you're not following Christ as your, your, uh, your north point heading, then you're following something else. And usually it's something in our culture, something in our society. So maybe part of the diagnostic is to say, Lord, I want, I don't want my life to be living my dream. I want my life to be living the life you're leading me to. I don't know what that is. But already Jesus is hinting to, to James and John, Peter and Andrew, to, to leave your nets and I will make you what? Fishers of men. I don't think they knew what that meant, but it was, it was different and probably better than what they were doing. 
That's the life that God offers us through his son, Jesus. Now, we know that's not an easy life, and we're not going to spend time on that, so I don't mean to say that everything is going to be swelling up into the right as we follow the Lord, but what is fulfilling and joyful and ultimately the only thing worthwhile is that life of discipleship that follows him. But sometimes we get that wrong, and sometimes we say, I want to live my dream. Sometimes, second diagnostic is sometimes we think that life is about avoiding pain. We wake up on, in the morning and we say, I want this, I want my day to go like this, and I don't want these things to happen. Here's my image that I want burnished and supported, and here's the stuff that I am afraid of dealing with and the stuff that is scary. It's fear, fear as a way of sabotaging us. We're, we, and that's understandable. Look, everybody here and everybody I know and everybody you know has gone through hard and difficult and challenging times that have seared some part of our heart and our soul. And when we come into a situation in today or tomorrow that, that reminisces, you know, that, that shows signs of being something we've gone through, it is natural to say, oh, I've been through this before and I want no part of this. And so we get protective and we back off. And that's pretty understandable. But when you follow Christ, there's times he's going to say, I know that things are scary. I know what you've been through. I know that what, what you, what, what is, I meant for joy is a source of anxiety. Arthur Brooks is a guy who writes for the Atlantic. He says uh, when he, earlier in his life, he was, a, he was a professional French horn player. And in chamber music ensembles and orchestras, and he said, uh, he said this, classical music is a perilous business. It relies on absolute precision. And so, quote, playing the French horn prone as it is to missing notes is a virtual high wire act in every concert. I could go from hero to goat within a few mistakes during a solo. I lived in dread and it made my life and work misery. Something that, the French horn is beautiful. It's a beautiful instrument. And, and to yet, and the, you know, you want to play as well as you can, but you're living with this overhang of fear and anxiety. What God men, means for good, mankind takes, and he, he changes it as a place of judgment. It's no wonder that we're fearful. Brooks goes on to quote a survey from a Northwest Venture Partners from 2018 that said 90% of CEOs admit fear of failure keeps them up at night more than any other thing. And you think, well, CEO, you probably tough that out, but no, we're human. We're afraid of these things. We have these fears. So in this time of pressing into epiphany, in this time of saying, Lord, if I've got fears that are holding me back, I need you to show those to me. What, what is that? Where, where, Lord, are the places where I'm reluctant to follow your leading because I want to avoid pain? Where is it, Lord, where, you know, but maybe those are difficult but necessary conversations. I think all of us have those in our lives. We know we should say something to someone, somebody we care about, somebody once we're in a relationship with, but we are afraid to do so because it didn't go so well the last time, or we don't know how to do it, or we're afraid that the tenuous relationship, or the relationship now that is tenuous will be ultimately afraid. I think the thing to do is just to be before the Lord and say, Lord, is this the time? Or Lord, open up that window, open up that time. Don't charge in without the Holy Spirit leading. Don't charge in without having your friends pray for you. But know that the Lord will open a time 
where those hard conversations, that hard conversation can be had. So maybe it's a difficult conversation. Maybe it's attempting new things at work or in life and overcoming that fear of failing. I don't know when Arthur Brooks got, you know, stop playing in the orchestra. But sometimes there's that next level of things that God is calling us to that requires us to say, okay, yes, Lord, I'm willing to take that chance. I don't know what the outcome is. I don't know how this will turn out. But you're the one who's calling me to it. So it's up to you to figure out how it's going to turn out. My goal is just to follow your leading, to be the best person I can be in that situation. Maybe it's a relationship that's worth pursuing, a friendship, a relationship. These can be very fraught, tremendously difficult because they're the kind of things that, that you know, if, if they, the farther they go, the more they reveal of truly who we are. And so much of our legacy from our first parents is shame and covering up. I don't know that there's anybody that could actually bear who we are if they really knew everything there is to know. These are hard things that I'm describing because I just want, and these are hard things that we have done or, or, or maybe are barking on, but they are things that are only done to, to move forward in as Christ is leading us to do so. And with his power and with his prayer and with the support of people in your church, I wouldn't try any of these unless you are fully armored up in this way. So, if God is speaking to you in this time about what some of these diagnostics are, great. Don't say, well, you know, Reverend John said I should go do this. Do pray about it ahead of time. I don't really know. Don't send me any emails. Do, you know, pray about it. Ask the Spirit to lead. Ask him to open up a door. Be, have some friends that can walk alongside of you. So being Epiphany people is about following Jesus. It's leaving the things that, that, that just hold us back. The, the natural desire to avoid pain. Jesus had a natural desire to avoid pain, but he went through it for his father's sake because his father did it. And the final thing, diagnostic, is just sometimes we think, and this is particularly true of Christians, that we just, I want to live the life on earth now the way that is kind of comfortable and the way that I, I can still go to church, and then I'll worry about eternity when eternity comes. So life I want now with Jesus' help, and then eternal life with Jesus, and he can tell me what that's gonna be about. But the problem with that is, it has no relationship to what Mark's gospel is telling us. He is calling these guys not to be great fishermen. He's calling them to be advocates and messengers and the embodiment of God for this kingdom of God that others would know fully who Jesus is. It's a much greater vision and mission than just having Jesus sign off on what we want to do. But I'll you know, speak for myself. Oftentimes, my, my first, I can't tell you how many years of my Christian life that, that was true of me. Where somehow, I, like, I love my tech career. I thought that was great. It was interesting, stimulating. Uh, it still is interesting in many ways. I love the, you know, the friends that I made and all the dynamism of, of the valley. But if I'm really honest and I look back on that, I, I see that there are times, Lord, I just want to advance in my career and I'll hear all my prayers for that, and you sign off, and I'll give you glory. That's such a me agenda. There isn't anything wrong with wanting to do your best for the Lord, and he will reward that oftentimes. But I look back and I see how much that was where I, big I, 
and they're very small or too small of a J for Jesus. How do we go forward? What's the remedy to this? I think it's pretty, you know, for me, what's helped me is just to be in each of these places to, to catch yourself. And you know, the spirit is a gentle spirit in many ways. He will tap you on the shoulder or he will have a friend come to you or you will see something on TV or he'll open your eyes in the scriptures and they will say, you know what? You're living for yourself way too much. You know what? This fear that is growing doesn't need to grow. In fact, it can be far less. You know, the life that I have called you to isn't about your mission being fulfilled by Jesus. It is about you coming along to Jesus' mission and having him live in you that way. Lent is coming up. It's on Valentine's Day. Um, it's the 14th. It starts with Ash Wednesday. Lent is a time where we, we ask the Lord to examine our hearts. It's a confessional time. We, we want to, as we used to say at our old church, do business with God. We want to be serious about him speaking to us, about opening our hearts, about showing us things that we need to let go of. So with this gospel reading, my hope, my prayer, what I plan to do is to just say, Lord, let's start doing, uh, give me some things in these categories that I truly need to let go of so that I can follow you more readily. I don't want my life to be a tug of war where I'm asking you to sign off on things that I want or I'm asking you not to challenge me beyond what I can bear. He knows that. He won't challenge me beyond what I can bear. But sometimes I don't think I can bear even that. And he goes, you know, you can probably bear that if with my help. So whatever that is, just be open to the Spirit's leading in these weeks ahead. Because sometimes during Lent, it, it's a 40-day it's a space that allows us to really sit before the Lord, to do the deep work that's often required to start making the level of change that, that allows God to take us further on the mission that he has for us. Let me close with this. We serve a faithful God. We serve a Lord who just loves us more than we can ever know. And his mission always starts with his love. His, the calling that he has is never devoid of his care and his compassion and his ultimate sacrifice for us. If we're going to go forward with that, then we just, I want us to get each in touch with like, Lord, you do love me. Before you say anything, this is like, you know, good managers you had, if you, if good family members, you had good parents. You were, they were good because they loved, you knew they loved you first. And then you were able to respond. Our Lord is like that. So I just want to leave with a prayer that, um, that we would press into the Lord's love and out of that love, we would see him lead us. Let me do that. Jesus, thank you that you called these four fishermen in the gospel to follow you. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know what they would see. They didn't know what you had in store for them. And we are very much the same, even if we've been following you for many years. Lord, we know that your work in us is not finished. But you're not a harsh taskmaster. You are a loving parent who loves us more than we know, who seeks to just take our hands gently off of the things that delight us and put them into your hands so that you can lead us. Would you do so, Lord, in the days ahead, more than we realize, and so that we can know what it means to love you more and follow you more closely. Amen.
Amen. Amen.